We'll check it out, y'all. We got what you need. We're all living in apartments, condos, vans. Well, dude, even you can have a studio. A studio in a box. Yes, we can help you with that right here at Blind Knowledge. We work on your budget, and we figure out your measurements. We'll get you the best sound for the best price. Let me know, 877-237-1143 or at blindknowledge.com. Yep. Welcome all to another amazing episode of Paranormal the Normal. I'm your host as always, Jeremy. And you know, I'm here to try to make the world seem a little more normal. Do we ever accomplish this goal? Let's be honest. No, we never accomplish this goal because the world's not normal. And it's never going to be. We accept this and we move on. But of course, I brought a guest with me to try to help me bring some normalcy to this world. I don't think we're going to help much with that tonight, but we'll see, as always. And my guest tonight is Floyd Willis, author and researcher of ancient mysteries, as well as a podcast I just found out. So there we go. <laughs> but first things first tonight, Floyd, how you doing? I'm doing well, Jeremy. First off, I want to thank you for having me on, and I want to thank your audience for tuning in. I think we're going to have a very fun and interesting conversation on my book, the red-haired giants of Lovelock Cave and other ancient mysteries and talk about giants. And there's a lot of other interesting subjects in there as well if you want to go down some other rabbit holes. So I'm, I'm oh, game. Oh, giants are my bread and butter. We're going to giants. We're going to Some giants. Point. Yeah. But let me ask you this first. This is the first thing I ask everybody because it sets the stage for this great mm-hmm. show. What got you into the paranormal, supernatural, spiritual world even with the ancient mysteries you look into? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I had a personal experience when I was around 15 years old. Um, I was living in an apartment with my mom and dad and my older sister, and uh, we had a paranormal experience there. Uh, we had some friends of the family uh, that would come over on the weekends and play cards with my parents. They did that for years and years. And um, the wife was named Patty, and she was a very lovely lady, uh, very tall, big bone, had huge hands. And when she would knock on the door, it would sound like someone was trying to break the door down. And my dad used to give her a hard time and said, hey, you know, take it easy. You're going to break the door down. At any rate, um, unfortunately, Patty, um, she was diagnosed with uh, terminal cancer. 
And uh, so her husband worked during the day and he was going to put her in a care facility uh, during the day while he worked and then pick her up in the evening. And my dad had injured his back and, and he was disabled and wasn't working. And so he, he told her husband, well, why don't you just drop her off in the morning and we can play cards and hang out. And then when you get off work, you could come pick her up. So that was a, a, gr a great arrangement for everybody. And one day they were playing cards and, and uh, Patty had a seizure. And she uh, she literally died in our apartment. So immediately after that, um, literally the next day after this uh, traumatic incident happened, we began to hear knocking. We would hear knocking on the front door. And of course, we would open it up and there would be no one there. And we would hear knockings on the walls. Uh, sometimes we'd hear a tap on the window and look out the window and there was no one there. So this continued for several days and it was very unnerving. Uh, my dad wasn't a, really a believer in the paranormal, but I'll never forget the uh, look of fear on his face when we were all sitting in the living room and there was a pounding on the door and he got up and opened the door and there was no one there. So we had some neighbors next to us, an older couple, um, and my mom had spoken to them about it. And the, the wife said, well, is it okay if I bring my Bible over and I'll, I'll read some passages out of the Bible and sprinkle some holy water. And, you know, I'll see if I can, you know, help in this situation. My mom was totally up to it. So this, this older lady shows up at our apartment and she breaks out this big old Bible, opens it up, starts reading passages, starts sprinkling holy water and walking around from room to room. Now I got kind of weirded out and I really, I'm kicking myself because I wish I would have, I would have stayed. But at that time I thought, wow, this is really weird. I'm going to go hang out with my friends. So my sister stayed and she witnessed this. And so she relayed um, the kind of the second half of the story of this woman going around um, you know, sprinkling holy water and all of a sudden she's speaking and her, vo her voice changes. So she, her voice changes and she said, uh, she said, this is Patty speaking and I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to scare you guys. I just didn't get a chance to say goodbye. And so I wanted to say goodbye to you all. And so after this, uh, this uh, process happened, literally the day after the knockings completely stopped and we, we didn't hear any more of that. Wow, that that's a wonderful kind of story. Honestly, that we don't hear too much on this show. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I something I something I would actually love to bear witness to one day. Um, I mean, spirit possession. I mean, and not possession in a bad way, folks, where it's demonic or anything. Just spirit possession, which I've read about in books, but I never actually really heard of happening. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's fascinating. That's that's completely fascinating. Yeah. And Jeremy, it's a, you know, like what you're talking about, like spirit possession, like I, even though I was weirded out by it, it did scare me a little bit. Like I didn't feel like it was a, like a threatening energy, like it was an evil energy. I, I, I didn't get, I didn't get that um, from that experience. So it make it made sense to me when um, my sister told me the story and the lady was speaking in this other voice and said, Hey, I just want to say goodbye. I didn't, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye, so I, I didn't feel it was any kind of a demonic or threatening energy at all. Well, that's good, and I mean, let's be honest, who wouldn't be scared in that situation as a kid? I would be scared, too. I mean, I never, had to, I never had to deal with the spirit in my life, like, head on, and mm -hmm. to this day, I don't think I would actually handle it too well. <laughs> I mean, even when I, get right. feeling, even when I get a creepy feeling in my haunted house, which I'm, I podcast in my, my studio, my podcast studio is in the garage, which is where his spirit haunt is. So mm -hmm. I've yet to see anything, but you want to show yourself for all, be my guest. But 
I invite you to show yourself any day of the week, uh, especially on a podcast. Please show yourself on camera. I would love that. But that definitely boosts my rankings a little bit. But, <laughs> uh, I, I have videos, though, of spirit orbs flying around my garage and flying in my son's bedroom. And it's Wow. Interesting. Creepy. Creepy. But yeah. Let me ask you the second question I asked everybody. Well, actually, okay, well, you kind of just answered it. But do you do you have any other experiences? Like, and in, in, in looking at all these ancient sites, I've seen fo- you photographs of you in. Have you had any experiences in any of, the, any of these ancient sites, like with spirits or even cryptids that are protecting the sites? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I haven't really had any experiences that stand out. H- however, at some of these sites that I've been to. Um, they feel very peaceful. I went to a place called Serpent Mound in Ohio, and I've it's one of it. yeah, it's one of the largest um, effigy mounds in North America, serpent mounds in North America, and I think it's about the length of a football field. And they have a, a lookout tower that you can climb up, and you can look out over this giant mound and, and see it from above, and it, it's really amazing. And when I was uh, at that site and walking around, uh, I just felt a real sense of peace. Um, unlike, um, you know, most places I've been. So it was a good feeling. It wasn't any kind of, a, you know, any kind of a weird feeling or that there was some kind of uh, bad energy there. So it was a sense of, of peacefulness. And then there were some pyramids I went to uh, outside of Mexico City called Teotihuacan, which means mm-hmm. place where men became gods. And that is one of the most amazing archaeological sites I've ever been. There's two huge pyramids, the Pyramid of the Sun and the Pyramid of the Moon, and they're connected by a roadway that the Aztecs called the Road of the Dead. And on either side of that road are a series of smaller pyramids. And when I was at that site, I mean, I was just in absolute awe and, and amazement of what I was uh, looking at. And it, this is a site where you can actually climb the pyramids. And what was what I found interesting, Jeremy, is that the steps going up these giant pyramids, they weren't made for the stride of a normal a normal human. These things were very very steep, as if they were made by giants. Which I mean, honestly, you're not the first person on the show to approach that theory. And I've heard that theory before, and I I love that theory because okay, well. I'm going to save giants for a little later because that's going to be a big part of this episode. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But um, I actually just had a thought, and it goes back to a Native American folklore legend that I've read when I was a kid. But Serpent Mound. Now, I don't know if you ever heard of the legend of, like, the I don't know what the hell it was called to begin with, but it was basically about a war between snakes and Native Americans where mm-hmm. they got sick of Native Americans killing and the snakes got The snakes got sick of Native Americans killing them. So it was basically a bunch of snakes went to attack them and they lit these lines of campfires up and they would kill snakes and then they'd light another line up and they kept doing this until a giant serpent emerged mm. and they and the chief made a deal with the giant serpent that they wouldn't kill snakes anymore unless they were actually trying to harm them. Interesting. No, I've never heard of that legend. It was in a Native American folklore book I read when I was, a, when I was uh, in elementary school, I'm pretty sure. I, I used to love reading... Native American tales, ancient mythology tales, books, yeah. about, books about Bigfoot, which, if I'm not mistaken, you were the same way when you were a kid. You loved I was that insane. Stuff. Yeah, I was a kid that I'm sure you were too. You'd go to the your library and you'd check out like the books on the Bigfoot and UFOs and, and, and anything like that, paranormal type stuff. 
I went to a very, very small elementary school, like okay. literally may, maybe a total of 300 students, if that. Oh, wow. That so, is very small. It, it, I mean, it, it shut down nowadays. They shut it down because they just put all those students in other schools, which I honestly think was a dumb idea because smaller classes make for better students, in my opinion. Yes, I agree. But, but I mean, it is what it is. I'm not an education professional, so I'm not going to comment on their lives. But Sure. But, I mean... Yeah, I think it was a stupid decision. But um, yeah, and the library that's there's literally one book on Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, and yes, Living Dinosaurs too, which we may get into a little bit later. But okay, that that was the one book I had in elementary school, and I checked okay. it out. I actually I worked in the library my fourth and fifth grade years. I worked in the library during my lunch period, just because okay. I loved seeing all the books and being able to see which ones I wanted to read. Because that's all I would do. That's all I would do mainly is put away books that people returned. So right. I would literally just put away books like that. And I mean, the books about snakes terrified me. Like I used to like, people used to actually tease me with those because they knew it would freak me out. But Right. Do you have, American Legends. <laughs> do, you, do you have a large book collection now? Are you a book collector now? Or I, unfortunately, as much as I like to be, I am not because I just, I'm like, okay, I can get this on Kindle for free with Unlimited. I'm just going to read it on right. Kindle. Like, yeah. Like it's, it's like, why would I go to Redbox and rent movies where I can get most of them for free on any streaming service or <laughs> yeah it's interesting yeah how techno uh, technology has changed everything as as far as that goes yeah very interesting. I mean I used to have a huge book collection and I still have a lot of it like don't get me wrong I still got my original copy of the first five books from the John Carter of Mars series and I oh, love cool. that I love that book but and I still have a lot of the other uh young adult fantasy novels I read up into my 20s and I still read them if I can because they're good books but yeah I like I mean yeah anything fantasy based I usually can read but I just I have kids now I have dogs I have a wife reading oh, I, yeah. I, I have, I'm, I'm on four podcasts I have a full-time job like reading's not an option anymore really right, I'm actually, yeah I'm actually in the process of trying to read one of my one of my first guests in the show her mm-hmm. second book she just sent to me and a few other people to beta read it and okay I, which I consider the biggest honor. Thank you, Brandy. I your your first book. You know how much I loved your first book because I read it within like a week to get ready for you coming on the show. Only time I ever read a book for a guest, unfortunately, because I just don't have time usually. But it was just such a good book that, and she knew I loved it, so she wanted to send me the second one so I could like kind of proofread it for her in a way, like other people mm-hmm. have are doing. And I mean, I love she did that. I'm a few chapters in. I need to see. It's the problem. I'm, I'm having time. I'm having trouble finding time to read it. That's a problem, but. Yes, you sound like a very busy individual. So, in addition to uh, you know reading books when I was younger, uh, back in the '80s, what was really popular on TV was a show called In Search of. Are you familiar with that? With late great Leonard Nimoy Leonard was the Nimoy. host, and Doc, I love that. Doctor Spock, freaking Doctor uh, Spock himself. Doctor Spock himself. I just, I yeah, I, I thought he was a fantastic actor, and I just love the sound of his voice. And he was just uh, to me, he was the the perfect host for a show like that. And, you know, in search of they they talked about UFOs and Bigfoot and Atlantis and, uh, you know, just all these different um, strange topics. And I was, I was hooked. I, I loved watching that show. And so that show was a big inspiration for me, um, you know, getting into some of the things that I'm into with like the ancient civilizations and, 
and giants and that type of thing. So it just, it carried on over into adulthood. And um, later on, I discovered the works of um, Zachariah Sitchin. And he talked about the Anunnaki going back to the ancient uh, Sumerian legends. And of course, they talk about giants. And of course, there's biblical accounts of giants. And I get into that in my book, a very, very fascinating. Oh, there are accounts of giants, I mean, back to the tale of God. Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh, yes. Gilgamesh from uh, Mesopotamia. Epic, epic of Gilgamesh. And I do talk about that in, in my book. In fact, there was a, a BBC article that came out, um, I believe it was in the early 2000s, that claimed that they actually found the tomb of Gilgamesh. And this it was this article, and I thought it was very interesting. They were go, going in-depth about this particular uh, archaeological site they found, and they said it matches the epic of Gilgamesh. And and I would, you know, and I could not find any follow-up articles or anything on it. It was like it, it was that one article, and then it just nothing more, nothing more about it. Uh, I mean, I feel like the world government, like, call them Illuminati, call them NWO, mm-hmm, call mm-hmm. Them Freemasons, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, there are, there are organizations out there that want to prevent this real history from being found, and that's a downfall in the society is that these people can stop. Us because I mean, all right, let's let's get into it. Let's get into it. Screw it. Let's go. All, all, all these giant graves that are found, and then mm-hmm. the bones disappear within a day. Like, and oh, they're going to the Smithsonian. Well, really, why have they not been displayed the Smithsonian yet? That's a very good point. In fact, I think there's been over fifteen hundred uh, newspaper ar- articles documented that have researchers have uncovered, and and there's probably more coming forward than that. And, you know, could some of those have been, you know, misidentified skeletons? Could maybe there be a few hoaxes? Yeah, there could have been a few. But when I started making this collection of old articles going through these uh, old newspaper databases, I was finding a lot of consistencies uh, between these articles, a little like just strange uh, consistencies, like um, skulls found with like a protruding brow ridge, massive jaw bones, and in some cases, double rows of teeth. And in fact, they would be very specific and they'd say there would be a double row of teeth in the, in the upper row. And so these articles would, would kind of match with each other. And, they, and we're talking about a span of time going back from maybe late 1800s into the 1960s. And there was just these really strange inconsistencies. And it's like, look, there was no, there was no internet back then. Like, you know, a, a hoax couldn't, you know, just with a click of a mouse be spread across the world. I mean, those were different times. And, and, and when some of these articles were written, I mean, there wasn't even, you know, uh, telephones or very few people had telephones. So I saw a lot of consistencies in the reports that I was seeing. And that gave a validity to what was being described in these articles. Exactly. I mean, they can't all be fakes like the Cardiff giant that, um, uh, what the hell's his name? Um, the guy that Hugh Jackman played found. Right. I, I, yes, I know about the, the Cardiff giant. And when you look at pictures of that, it was, it looked just like almost like a, like a statue, like it, it was supposed to be a fossilized giant. You know, it looked to me, it yeah. looked, it looked very, it looked very fake, but these other reports, uh, that, uh, had had um, some validity to them. They said they were skeletons. They were giant skeletons, um, and they just, like I said, they described some of these giants being seven feet tall, eight feet, nine feet. I have a report in my book 
of a, a giant skeleton in Pennsylvania that allegedly that was, you know, like 15, 16 feet tall. I was going to say, those are the ones I hear about. I mean, seven foot giant, I mean, it must have been a kid because that wouldn't impress me much because I'm six foot tall. So, right. Yeah. I, I, I've met people that are a foot taller than me and it's still not that impressive. Like it's, it's yeah. daunting. It's daunting when you're six foot tall and you find someone taller than you. It's kind of like, sure. Uh, Okay, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, they can't all be the card. Not everything that's found is going to be the card of giant, like P.T. Barnum tried displaying as a real giant. Like it just that's, yes. that's the name I'm trying. That's the name I'm trying to think of. People, I can never think of his actual name. I always just think Hugh Jackman now. But right. yes, yes, and, yeah, and, and one of the central stories in in my book uh, focuses on Lovelock Cave, which is in Nevada. And the northern Paiute in that area have a tradition that goes back, um, you know, hundreds, maybe even thousands of years of this race of red-haired giants that lived in that area. And they called them Satika. Uh, there were, there were, they were known by a number of names, Satika being one of them. Satika means Thule eater, and Thule is like a water plant. And uh, there was a lake around that area, and at one time it was very marshy, and allegedly these giants they would uh, use the water plant for various things. They would make uh, basketry out of the, these water plants, uh, even like sandals. Like there was a woven sand, Thule sandal that came out of Lovelock Cave that uh, when, once I, I did the measurements and translated it into shoe size, it came out to the size 29 shoe. And I Ooh. I, yes, I looked through all the records of the you know biggest feet, and no no one matched uh, size twenty nine shoe. I mean, I wear size sixteen, seventeen myself, and Shaq wears size twenty twos, but still, like that's size twenty nine is God. I mean, imagine the correlation there with what they say about big feet. I mean, Jesus. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Well, it was interesting because I have a photo of it in my, in my book, and it was actually sent to me by an anthropologist at the Nevada State Museum. And so I had this dialogue with this anthropologist for a period of time, and I, I include it in my book, and it, it goes to a certain point, and then I start asking maybe too many questions, and the conversation stops, the communication stops. But he did send me a photo of that Thule sandal, and he actually displayed it. He made a display, and he used the casting of an alleged uh, Bigfoot print, and he put the sandal on the on the on the alleged Bigfoot print, and it and it and it went across the width of the of the foot. And I thought that that was very very fascinating. Now, see, you kind of just read my mind because I was going to ask you at one point or another, do you think that Bigfoot and Giants could be related somehow? A absolutely, they could. I mean, you hear a lot of these reports of uh, Bigfoot encounters and the majority of them, I mean, they're talking about um, a being that's, you know, uh, eight feet, nine feet even even taller so in, in effect it would be you know it would be a giant i've recently met three different people within the past um you know six months that have had actual uh, bigfoot encounters and i i think that was quite amazing in fact one of them's one of my neighbors an older gentleman that i always talk to when i'm walking through the neighborhood and he actually had two encounters out here i live in washuba washington and oh, he wow. had it yeah <laughs> Yeah, he had an encounter. Uh, this was on the Washington side. 
um, near Bonneville area, and he actually had two encounters, and they're undocumented. And he shared these encounters with me. They were very detailed, and he's going to actually let me uh, give me permission to document those encounters. And in my second book, I am planning to do a follow-up book. I, I want to do a section in there on the on Bigfoot, and I, I would like to in, include those personal uh, experiences that that my uh, my friend had. Oh, that'd be amazing! And we'll definitely have to get you back on. The second book's coming out, but yeah, I I I, I have no problem promoting authors again when they're they have new books coming out. It's it's always a fun time. But, Appreciate that. And you're in Washington too. Have yeah. you have you? Have you tried to get permission to go look at the Olympic project area? No, I mean, I, I, I am like you, I am a very, very busy individual. And um, so when I do get out in my area and there's a lot of beautiful areas out here, I'm usually taking my sons and we're usually going hiking on some trails. Um, but there, there's still a lot in my area that I, I have yet to explore. Well, let me put it this way. Small town monsters. I don't know if you heard of them. They mm -hmm. a lot of doc, they've done a lot of documentaries on Bigfoot, especially. Okay. And they went to the Olympic Project for one of their documentaries, and they basically found proof of Bigfoot at the Olympic Project. Wow. They they found nests that are so big that there's nothing else. No, there's no animal known to man that would make a nest that big. Interesting. And there are like lines of them there. Like it's like like the Olympic Project. A lot of people believe the Olympic Project. I mean, even though government says it's just protected forests, like a lot of areas, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a huge belief by a lot of people that they they know there's Sasquatch clans that live there, mm -hmm. and they just protect it for that reason. That that makes perfect sense. I mean, I mean, I could definitely see the the possibility in that. Have you heard Have you heard of David Polites? Any of his work? He does the Missing Four One One. He's he has mm -hmm. some books. I'll say, I knew the name. I couldn't place it but as soon as you said missing 401 i was like yep okay i know the missing yeah. 401 that goes yeah. into that goes into a whole theory of mine about hollow earth and bigfoot and dog yeah and else like it, it's just uh it, it takes you down some other uh other rabbit holes right oh i mean well actually as someone who's done a lot of exploring on ancient sites and stuff i'm sure you've noticed the amount of cave systems across the americas Absolutely. In fact, um, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the archaeological sites that I mentioned earlier, Teotihuacan in Mexico, there's a whole uh, underground cave system underneath that site. And back in, oh, this was probably 15 years ago or so, a sinkhole opened up and one of the archaeologists, uh, it, local archaeologists, actually Indiana Jones style, roped down uh, into this tunnel with a torch and found a whole series of, uh, of caves underneath Teotihuacan. And they found artifacts, um, all kinds of uh, precious stones and carved artifacts. And what was the most interesting thing that they found, Jeremy, were um, these spheres. And guess what they had in them? Can you guess? Uh, I want to say... That flower you were talking about earlier. They found liquid mercury in these spheres. Really? Yes. Okay. I, I never. I just want to say I never would have guessed that in a thousand years. Uh, like, yes, most people wouldn't, unless you heard about the, you know, the discovery. But liquid mercury was found in these spheres in this tunnel system 
underneath Teotihuacan. And I talk about that in my book. And obviously, liquid mercury is very toxic. And to even, even handle it for any period of time, you're going to cut your lifespan short. There's a reason we don't. We, there's a reason they don't sell those thermometers much anymore. But yeah, that that's right. That's right. And what and what's interesting is if you get liquid mercury cold enough, it can actually produce anti gravity properties. In fact, I was watching an episode of Ancient Aliens, and they were doing this experiment. There was like this track, and it had um, this magnetic track, and the scientist took a it looked like a little puck, and he said it was filled with something that was equivalent to liquid mercury. It wasn't liquid mercury, but it had the same kind of properties. And the reason why I didn't use liquid mercury is because it was so toxic. But he yeah. got it He got it cold enough to where that little puck floated up above the track and it was going around and around and around, just floating around. And he even put an object in front of it and it stopped and it went around and then it continued to go all, all the way around the track. And one of the uh, hosts from Ancient Aliens asked the scientist, he said, well, is it possible if, you know, there was a way to make some type of a craft that was powered by liquid mercury? And if you could continually keep that liquid mercury cold enough, is it is it possible that you could create an anti-gravity craft? And he said he believed that, yes, that is possible. Well, I'm sure the government's already figured that the hell out. By oh, now. yeah. Oh, oh definitely. Uh, but definitely. I mean, that would also explain. I mean, liquid mercury, I'm pretty sure is, as far as we know, only found on Earth, as far as we know what planets we've been to. But I mean, I don't think they ever said they, I don't think they ever said they found it on Mars. But yeah, I'm not sure. I don't I don't remember ever hearing that. But I mean, that right there could be proof that extraterrestrials lived on earth at some point and that's what they started using for the ships it's it's very possible it's an interesting question because you have to ask yourself well why of all places at this ancient site are you know did you find these spheres with liquid mercury now conventional archaeology would tell you the ancient people used the liquid mercury as a scrying device which is like, you know, how, you know, the crystal ball kind of thing. You look at it and course, you can, yeah. you know, divine or, you know, make predictions about the future. And so archaeology, uh, conventional archaeology would tell you, oh, they would just use that as a scrying device. So who knows? I mean, but then again, they want to tell you a lot of things about ancient people. That that's, really... that's right. <laughs> that's I mean, right. I mean, I still am trying to, I'm waiting for the day that they prove Heracles was a real person, but that's just the way it is. I mean, I, the way I see things, it's like, I am all about the government hiding everything because why wouldn't they? Information is power. Why wouldn't they hide things from, because yes, human beings would freak the hell out if they realized everything that was going on on earth, but it's still our right to know. It's our right to freak out over it because we are, it's our planet. I mean, we live yes. here now, whether we were, whether we were created here or whether we were bred here or whether we were slaves here originally mm -hmm. to another species, who knows? Who knows? I mean, I've, well, because I've had two guests previous. Um, one is a Atlantis researcher. Okay. And him and his partner believe they found the central city of Atlantis in the African desert. And that the idea of a city sunken into the sea, it might have been one of the like province states of Atlantis, but it wasn't like the main place. Right. Like, like the Greeks may have took that city and sank it, like whatever, like it happens. 
but on earth it happens a lot with with war and humans but yeah I mean, most definitely they are he's under the belief that all these ancient alien species pretty much they civilized earth they either created us or we were already here and they just made us slaves and then eventually they left us to to breed and survive our own devices but I mean, it's just he had a lot of theories about that, and it's it's interesting though because he believes he found the central the central city of Atlantis. Which before mm-hmm. before that interview with him, I have never heard of anybody saying that. Right. Yeah. And that's in a desert. It's in a desert. Which yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, evolution and time do things to areas, but still. Right, and there could have been also two cataclysmic events. We do know that about uh, close to 12,000 years ago, our planet was hit by a massive comet that broke into pieces and hit uh, North America and Europe. And that gets into the works of Graham Hancock, which have been a real big influence on me, uh, reading his first book, Fingerprints of, of the Gods, and uh, then his follow-up book, Underworld, which gets into a lot of these uh, sunken cities. Um, there's one, uh, Yanaguni, off the coast of uh, Okinawa, uh, the giant structures there. There's Dwarka, these, some structures uh, out, uh, in India, out in the ocean. And, and so who knows? There could have been a massive cataclysmic uh, event or series of event that wiped out these uh, very uh, uh, advanced ancient civilizations. Oh, God, yes, there could have been. I mean, in... And who knows if they were actually were natural events or if they were caused by something like, yeah. I mean, this is a long shot. People don't even quote me on this, please. But who's to say that aliens can't control comets to some degree? Come on. I mean, it's possible. They can control a lot. If they can invent ships that go through dimensions to get to earth, what the hell else can they have the capability of doing? I mean, come on now. Like, it's just, I mean, don't quote me on that, please. I, I, I beg you. <laughs> well, well, you know, you you bring up a very good point, uh, Jeremy. There was, uh, I think, there was some. Uh, I don't know if it was a, an asteroid or something that came near the Earth uh, a number of years back. It was called. They named it a Moa Moa, and some mm-hmm. and some scientists were saying that that could have been an extraterrestrial craft that had, you know, that was concealing itself, and it, it's going along right right along with what you were just talking about. Yep, and I mean, yeah, I've 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 heard a lot about that actually because I listened to a podcast called Wild Thing a few years back, and mm-hmm. it's actually it's actually Grover Krantz's niece that does the podcast. I, I'm, you, you know who he is? I'm assuming. Um, no, uh, name again. Grover Krantz. The name sounds kind of familiar, he, but I'm not he, making a connection. He is one of the forefathers of Sasquatchery. Oh, okay. And his his niece does this podcast, um, Wild Thing. And the first season, she talked all about Bigfoot. And the second season, she did Aliens. Okay. And during the during that season, she talked about that, the structure the structure in space you are just talking about. Uh, Imoamoa? Yeah. Imoamoa, yeah. yeah. She, she, she talked about that for a whole episode and how people believe it was an extraterrestrial craft by possible. It's possible. I mean, who knows what their who knows what their ships really look like? I mean, they could have all these designs in their ships that like make them look like some make them look like they could say, Oh, these stupid humans think we have flying saucers. Let's make all our ships look like flying saucers. Why not? Why not? Just let's just mess with these tiny brain humans before we go in and croak them. Right. So, 
I yeah. mean, it's just it's uh, who it's that's that's the worst part about the paranormal. That's the part I hate is it's always who knows. Like we we right. can't prove it. <laughs> yeah, just, it's sad. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah, yeah. and you know, the discussions like these open up more questions. You know, it seems to oh. generate more. When I was writing my book, you know, I I gathered a lot of what evidence that it, four years of research and. You know, I still came out with a, a lot of questions, you know, having done all that research. But, um, you know, no one really knows for sure. I mean, we can just speculate and just present evidence. And the way I write my book is I'm not trying to, to convince anybody that the, oh, I know exactly who the giants were, um, you know, where they're from. I just I present some evidence, some theories and let the readers come to their own conclusions. I mean, well, that's the way, that's the way it should be done, honestly. And and yeah, trust me on this on this podcast alone, I I present all these theories that come up with in my own mind, and then just like, and then someone will ask me, well, "What about this?" I'm like, "Well, fuck!" Now I got to come up with a whole new theory that involves that. <laughs> like it's just like, uh, I honestly someday, someday in the future, I will write a book of all my theories and put them out in writing. But that, that, that day, that day is nowhere near, nowhere yeah. near. I don't have time for that yet. Maybe once I'm make enough money and I got time off my job I'll take a couple weeks off and write a book but and once my kids are teenagers and don't want anything to do with me anymore maybe then <laughs> but until then it's just uh nah they need my attention and podcasting takes enough of it away that I don't want any way more but right right well getting back to the to the story of the whole red-haired giants the Lovelock cave so oh, the please. northern yeah northern Paiute tradition um talked about a race of red-haired giants and they were very violent uh, they attacked surrounding uh, tribes, and they were cannibals. They would they would eat their victims, and they were a very evil tribe. And allegedly, the Paiutes waged war against these giants. They allied with other native tribes, and they waged war with these giants that lasted for a period of three years. And finally, it culminated uh, with the last of the red-haired giants being cornered in Lovelock Cave, and the Paiutes threw brush in front of the cave and, and lit flaming arrows up, and they they shot them uh, at the brush and it caught fire and it, and it burnt the giants to death. Now, in 1911, there were two um, uh, guano miners, and, and guano is, is bat dung. Uh, they were mining this bat guano out of Lovelock Cave, and they uncovered uh, some skeletal remains. They uncovered artifacts, and they called in the local uh, university, and then there was a, a initial uh, archaeological um excavation done and a number of, of mummies, uh, skeletons, and thousands of artifacts came out of the cave. Now the skeletons disappeared. They disappeared, of course. of course, right? The skeletons disappeared and the artifacts that came out of the cave were distributed to a number of different museums. Now here's something very interesting. Uh, so some skulls that allegedly came out of Lovelock Cave ended up in a museum, a local museum called Humboldt Museum, and they were never put on public display. They were always kept in the basement, and you had to ask the curator to see them. They were kept in these cupboards. And I thought that that was very unusual. It's like, wow, so why aren't you, you know, showing these to the public? Why do you have them in the basement? And so allegedly these skulls were at the Humboldt Museum for you know, at least 40 years, a long, long time, 40, 50 years, maybe even longer. And when I began to write my book, the story of Lovelock Cave fascinated me in that there are still artifacts that you can see 
at the Nevada State Museum that came out of the cave. And there's also some photographs of these skulls that were once at that museum. And I acquired some of them uh, with permission of um, a researcher named M.K. Davis. He gave me permission. Uh, I have a picture of a, one of the bigger skulls in my book, and it's a massive skull. It's a massive skull. And in the upper row of teeth, can you guess what's up there? Two rows? Almost two rolls. There's extra, ex, extra teeth. Which, I mean, if you're going to be a cannibal, two rows of teeth would definitely help with that because you're going to be chewing a lot of bones. That, that, makes, that makes good sense. And what's interesting with a whole double row of teeth uh, if you look even in the Bible, uh, and you know, obviously we, most of us are that are familiar with the Bible are familiar Nephilim. with the story of the Nephilim or a David and Goliath, you know, the, oh, everyone usually knows who, who Goliath was, but there's a, a specific reference in the Bible when David was and his mighty men were fighting these giants, there's a giant uh, referenced in there that had a double, it says it had a double row of teeth and it had six fingers on each hand. And uh, which is called a medical term is called polydactyly. And that still happens. Um, you know, there are people that are born, born with extra digits. It's, it's not a frequent thing, but it still does happen. And, and there are people born to this day that, um, that do have uh, supernumerary teeth, they have extra teeth, or even uh, an extra set of, you know, a double row of teeth. And it's not, not very frequent, but it, it still happens. And of it course. makes... Yeah, and it makes me wonder, you know, and I just raised the possibility is, could these these um, traits of polydactyly, the extra digits and the double rows of teeth, could they have been a genetic um, kind of trait that was left by these giants in our in our DNA? I was going to say, I'm like, sounds to me like uh, some of our human ladies back in those days were getting freaky with some giants, but... Well, you know what? You you raise a good point. Have you heard about the the discovery of the Denisovans? Vaguely, I think. I don't think I ever heard about it in detail. Okay, so I talk about the Denisovans in my book, and they are a a new species, um, you know, uh, uh, relatives of us that were discovered. Um, you know, about 10 years ago in, uh, in Siberia, there was a, uh, in the Altai Mountains in some caves, archaeologists were doing excavations and they found a giant tooth and it was about twice the size of a normal human tooth. And they found a knuckle bone and they found some artifacts. They found a stone bracelet that had these tiny holes drilled in it that were probably eight, eight millimeters, uh, which was astounding because uh, this stuff was dated back about 50,000 years ago. And so when they did the DNA sequencing on the knuckle bone and the tooth, they determined that it was actually another, uh, another species of hominid. And they, they named them the Denisovans after the cave where it was found. It was called Denisova Cave. And since then, a complete skull, which is believed to be Denisovan has, intact skull, has came out of China. Uh, and that's called Homo longi, which means dragon skull. And it's a massive skull. It's very big, uh, football-shaped, uh, very, very big eye sockets, uh, very pronounced brow ridge. And this was found uh, in the late 1930s by um, a, a, a worker who was under forced labor by the Japanese uh, building a, a bridge. And, and this, this man found this giant skull, and he hid it. He, he stuck it in a well. 
and he kept it there. And basically, he was uh, he lived to a very old age. And on his um, on his deathbed, he revealed to his children about that he had found the skull and where he hid it, and he told them where to go find it. So they went and 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 retrieved this giant skull from this uh, well. And then they turned it over to the university there in China, and they did the the DNA sequencing and determined that it's Denisovan, and it's huge. It's one of the biggest uh, hominid skulls, I believe, that um, that has actually been shown to to the public. Wow, I mean, it's funny because when I was getting ready for this conversation tonight, I, I mean, I never actually write anything down because that's just not my style. Yeah, and even even in school, it wasn't my damn style, but. <laughs> It's it's all kept up here in this mystery of yeah. the mind. But yeah. I was going to actually bring up dragons at some point because, I mean, well, I had a previous guest on this show, Lon Strickler, who was a paranormal investigator out of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And he's had a lot of reports of dragons appearing outside of mines in Pennsylvania. Interesting. Which, I mean, dragons, same as giants, dragons are in every folklore going back as far as we can find folklore. Like. Yeah, it's a good point. And I, you know, I actually do have a section in my book um, on on reptilians and it, it gets into, you know, things like dragons and reptilians. And if you look at, you know, your major ancient civilizations, usually when the serpent is talked about or dragon is talked about, um, it's usually associated with knowledge. Like, you know, of course, we have in the biblical accounts of the Garden of Eden, we have the, the serpent. And, the, and, of course, uh, it wasn't, you know, obviously given a good rap in that story, but it was it represented, you know, uh, knowledge. It was associated with an ancient knowledge. And then you have um, the ancient um, Anunnaki, the Sumerian tales that you had mentioned earlier. And some of those beings were supposedly reptilian. In fact, I have a picture of a statue an ancient statue that came out of um, Samaria and it's of a lit looks like a lizard a woman and she's holding a little baby and the little baby is a little a little a uh, little lizard person and so we have all these accounts and, and if you go back to ancient China you know all the imagery of the dragons and in their culture in the Asian culture the dragon is usually looked at as knowledge and, and, and as something lucky or good where in the European cultures, if you look back, the dragons usually represent evil, um, you know, and you, 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 that's where you get the stories of the knight in shining armor going to slay the dragon to save the princess, right? Or the monk in the one your, uh, English case, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, uh, I'm trying to think of, I don't think I've in my notes in any of these previous episodes lately, but trying to think of the name of the alien species that uh, Starseeds dealt with a lot. I can't think of the name for the life of me right now, but it's uh, it's one of the ancient alien species that supposedly helped find Earth and colonize it with us. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my God. Palladians. Palladians. That's it. Okay. Palladians. I, have, I have heard of the Palladians. Yes. Yes. I have heard of them. Because supposedly, from what I heard, the Palladians and Anunnaki's were at war with the reptilians on Earth. Hmm. And I, I mean, from what I've heard, the reptilians and Anunnaki were mainly covering the area that is now Europe and Asia. And the reptilians were mainly covering what is now America, honestly, uh, ironically enough. But hmm. 
which is where we get all these stories now of an underground LA city of gold and that is controlled by reptilians and you know supposedly reptilians are in the world disguised as humans like like scrolls basically <laughs> but they're size they're, I mean I'm sure you've seen like the videos on YouTube and stuff of like oh look at this news anchor's eyes how they go side to side when they when she blinks instead of up and down it's it's funny that you mention that because there was a recent news report some woman on an airplane uh, mm-hmm. said, did you see that i i, I don't know the, I, I don't know what to make of it but it's very unusual uh, for sure i don't i mean i don't know if this woman was i don't know enough about to know if this woman right. was on drugs or drunk or what but yeah i mean would it surprise me to see that on a plane? Not really. I mean, the the, the reptilians suppose we have taken over taken over world society on a major level, and we can't prove it. Like it's just the biggest. It's been one of the biggest paranormal mysteries since I got into conspiracies. Like yeah, David Ike talks a lot about that. David Ike talked a lot about the reptilians. Well, what's interesting is you know we have a part of our brain called the reptilian brain. They actually call it the reptilian brain, and it's that part of our brain that just acts on purely on uh, survival instinct and it's very uh, territorial it's not uh, it's not emotional and uh, I found that quite interesting that yeah we actually have a part of the brain they call the reptilian brain well I mean yeah it's it's the fight or flight moment in our brain that supposedly has that but mm-hmm. which I mean who knows I mean I was told on an episode a couple weeks ago that um, a woman had stories from her father who was in the Navy about Velociraptor extraterrestrials fighting with the Americans in World War II. Wow, that's wild. <laughs> uh, oh, if when that episode actually releases on podcast, oh my God, you can actually hear me like try to compose myself for like a couple minutes as I'm trying to figure like how, how to wrap my brain around that. And, exactly, yeah. Is, is it possible yes in the paranormal world pretty much everything's possible but that does that does that make sense to me <laughs> honestly it kind of does because i mean we there's a lot of rumors about extraterrestrials of all different species being involved in the world war ii because nukes were involved and they were trying to a lot of them were trying to prevent us from using nukes i mean the whole valiant thor thing with eisenhower like was there an alien in the white house of pentagon for months at a time trying to convince us not to use nukes I could believe it because if I see a little dirtball planet that's all of a sudden getting all this power with nuclear bombs and stuff, I'm going to be like, we need to go send someone down there. We need to go talk to them and tell them this is not a good idea. You're going to destroy yourselves in the process, which right. we haven't yet, but we're on, <laughs> the ver- we're on the verge. We're, you know, as my mama would say, we have one foot on the uh, one foot on a banana peel and the other dangling off the edge of a cliff. Basically, until some leadership changes in the next couple of years, and then hopefully things yeah. get back to normal. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I, I pray every day to, I believe in nothing. So I, 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 I mean, I believe there's something, but I don't know what to call it. But I pray to right. whatever's out there every day that please don't let yeah. that happen because I, I have kids. Like if I, if I didn't have kids, yeah. then let it happen. I wouldn't give a shit. But yeah, I, I have, I have kids, so I don't yeah. want my kids to perish and or have to live in a post-apocalyptic world like that. Like I just. I don't like, but you, yeah, you mentioned the Nephilim and oh, we both kind of did, but the Nephilim are one of my favorite topics too. And one of my, my co-hosts on my other show's favorite topics, because they kind of prove a lot about what existed back in the day. And I mean, 
we found proof of Nevelheim to some degree, haven't we? Well, uh, some researchers would say yes, and other people would say, oh, there's not, you know, not enough evidence out there. But I mean, going back to the ancient text, and I'll and I'll just get into briefly the biblical text, and I have a section on that in my book, um, in Genesis six. And this passage fascinated with fascinated me from the time I was a kid, and I really didn't look into the backstory until as an adult. And it's Genesis six, and I'm just going to paraphrase it. It said there were giants. There were giants in the earth in those days and thereafter, when the sons of God came into the daughters of daughters of men and bore them children, and they became mighty men, men of renown. And that's a very unusual passage because it's saying the sons of God came into the daughters of men. So the the, the first question is, who are the sons of God, right? Who are the Angels. sons of God? Yeah. Who are the sons of God? They came into the daughters of men, which means that they had sex with the earth women and they bore giants and they became these mighty men of renown. So as I started digging into that, I started looking into the Bible to, to find more evidence of who are the sons of God. And I found a number of passages um, in uh, there was a, a couple passages in uh, Job, uh, one where uh, Satan was approaching the throne of the Lord, and he, it says he was accompanied by the son. He was accompanied by, accompanied with the sons of God, right? Those weren't humans that were accompanying him in the heavenly heavenly realms, right? Those were those, yeah, those were a- angelic beings. And also, there's a, a reference in Job too. It says that uh, the sons of when the earth, when the foundations of the earth were being laid, the sons of God shouted for joy, right? So the found this was long before allegedly um, humankind was created. This is when when the earth was being created, and the sons of joy, the sons of God shouted for joy. Those weren't humans; those were they, those were celestial beings. Those were angelic beings. And so we get into the whole topic of, you know, could these be, could these beings have been angelic beings? And if you think of an angel or a demon, you know, or something uh, paranormal like that, are you know, the question is, are they from the earth? Are they from the earth, or from, are they from somewhere else? Exactly. Right? I mean, that's one of the biggest things that people debate nowadays is angels and demons. I mean, I've I've heard people say that extraterrestrials are demons and the reason people mm-hmm. get abducted is because they are doing satanic practices i mean according to this guest it was like listening to heavy metal but <laughs> which right if that, if that was the case i would be abducted every day of my life i i, I would have been i would have been gone a long time ago jeremy <laughs> I, I i that's i mean i when i had that guest on and his episode released already so i'm not really worried about hearing this but like it's just when he was on saying that stuff, I was just like sitting there, like mm, I'm keeping quiet right now. I'm keeping quiet right yeah. now. I don't want. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to pound the gas like what I'm kind about to. Kind of biting, biting your lip there. But it goes back to the the question is so if, if these are some type of celestial beings, and if most people can agree, these things are probably not from here. Probably not from here. So what would that make them if they're not from the they're not from the Earth? You know, it, they could very well be considered of and, extra extraterrestrial origin. They're not. They're not from here. They've, they came to the Earth. I could be mistaken here. I could mm-hmm. be, but I believe it says somewhere in the Bible that Earth was not God's first experiment. Mm. I believe it says that somewhere in the Bible. If I'm not mistaken because I know it's in Paradise Lost by Milton, 
which yeah. y- yes, that's supposedly a work of fiction, but it kind of matched up the Bible pretty damn good. And which I mean, okay, Paradise Lost is one of my favorite. I never actually read the book, but the I've heard yeah, like me neither. Art, I've heard like the podcast version of it when they did on um mythology and I mean, they basically did almost word for word, and it's just incredible, like, to hear that story. And it, it's a book that actually makes you feel bad for Satan. Mm. Like, mm. which I praise Milton because if you can make people feel bad for the devil, you are an amazing author. Like, keep it, like, you need right. time. I mean, obviously, don't keep it going because you're long past, but still, like, it's just, yeah, God, like, that's incredible. But, well, before we get to the end here, though, I did want to talk because we talked giants. We got we kind of got to talk the opposite a little bit. And I mean, for all my Lord of the Rings and Hobbit fans out there, let's talk Hobbits. I love it, little people, the little people. And I have I have a section of my book on the little people, and it was interesting because I originally didn't intend to go down that rabbit hole, but in the process of gathering all these old articles on giants. I actually came across uh, old articles on the discoveries of pygmy skeletons discovered in North America. And so I started, yeah, I started making a little uh, collection of these articles that I found and doing research into that and made a discovery that in most Native American tribes, not only are there, are, are, are there oral tradition talk about giants, but they talk about little people as well. Yeah, I mean, I've heard so many stories of the skeletons of like little people found around the world. Like it's just, I mean, and if you look, you look in Asia, they basically prove the Orang Pendek exists, which is a little Bigfoot. So, yeah. well, they have skeletons of the Flores Hobbit that that was made in the early two thousand. So we actually have skeletons. We have a skull uh, and other bone fragments of these of another branch of 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 us called the flores hobbit the flores island is in indonesia and there was a giant cave in the early 2000s that they were excavating called liang bao cave and they did and they discover they unearth uh, uh artifacts uh projectile points and and other uh tools and and skeletal remains they found a, a, a skull this tiny skull it looked like a skull of a maybe of a child it was so small, but then they um, did other testing on it, determined that it had wisdom teeth. So the and it was a female because they found the the other fragments of the skeleton, and they could tell by the by the pelvic area that it was a, a woman, um, and and that this being was no more than you know not much taller than three feet. And, you know, it, it raised a lot of uh, controversy in the in the field of pa- uh, paleontology and archaeology, uh, because a lot of the archae- a lot of the paleontologists were coming out and saying, oh, they that they must have had like a disease, you know, microcephaly or something that would make them small. But yet all the testing that was done being done and more skeletal remains being found determined that that was not the case, that there this was a race of little people that wasn't much taller than three feet. And, you know, they were intelligent. They knew how to make fire. They knew uh, how to make tools. They probably had some type of language. And what was interesting is their brain was smaller than that of a chimpanzee, but yet they had this high intelligence to do all these things, which a- which actually kind of kind of contradicts what we're taught in the theory of evolution. You know that the bigger the bigger brain that you have, the more intelligent you are. Yet here these beings are 
that were able to do all this that had a brain smaller than a than a chimpanzee. Which, you know, I mean, see, I used to be the biggest proponent of evolution in my school days. Mm-hmm. Like I used to, it was my it was my argument against my rest of my family that was religious. Like, mm-hmm. how could evolution exist in a world where God created everybody? But yeah. and evolution is more proven. But I mean, at the end of the day, to, to, if you ask me today, do I believe in evolution? I'm like. I question it because I don't think it's the full story. I mean, did mm-hmm. we evolve? Yeah, that's pretty much proven. Yes. But was it just natural because a, a lightning happened lightning or happened to strike a fish in the water and it crawled on land and was able to evolve? Nah, I don't know if I believe that part. But I mean, were some creatures on Earth put into extraterrestrial machines and made to evolve? Mm, that sounds a little more logical in my mind. I mean... I don't know. I, I hear like, oh my God, I should just name this podcast. I don't fucking know. Cause that's basically the bottom line of it all. Like, I don't know. And yeah, but we do have, we do have archeological evidence of these little people. I mean, we have, we have the evidence of the, the uh, physical remains. And, you know, we, we also have physical remains of the Nazca mummies. I'm not sure how familiar you are with them. And it was discovered in 2017 in Peru. And I have a whole section in my book on those discoveries and they've been tested since 2017 and they have uh, they've proven not to be uh not to be fakes and we're talking some of these little beings look like reptilian beings uh hybrids between homo sapien and a reptilian there's uh, a picture i have of one of these mummies in my book that they did the x-rays and it looks like it has reptilian eggs in the stomach there's been dna tests that have been done on these things and uh, elements of the DNA of these mummies, they don't match any any known species on our planet. Okay, see, right there, the, the government's keeping this shit secret for a reason. Like, they're not broadcasting this for a reason. Like, because I haven't heard about these. I, I mean, maybe I haven't passing, but I, okay. haven't heard about these, I haven't heard about these enough detail to actually, like, it, say, I, I know these. To, to me, I think it's one of the biggest stories of our time. And they originally, uh, you know, this came out in the public about 20, 2017. And ironically, the mummies were were turned over to the public by grave robbers. They allegedly a group of they call them hoqueros, and they you know they go and they they um, they loot these ancient archaeological sites, and they've done this for generations. They put the artifacts and the skeletons on the black market, but this group of uh, tomb robbers. Uh, found these beings and they were so different to what they'd ever seen before. They were like, you know what? We felt so important that, that humanity needs to know about these things. So instead of putting them on the black market, they turned them over to an independent archeologist from, from France that was working in Peru. And that's how these things came, uh, became public. So if that, if it would have been from, uh, you know, uh, the archaeological community initially finding these things, we probably never would be would never have seen them, nor would we even be having this conversation about them. No, because the government would have confiscated them in a second. But yes, it's just sad. It's just sad. We can't even. Why don't they want us to discover what's out there? That's the biggest question in the paranormal. It, yeah. I mean. Well, not I mean, like you said, knowledge is power. And, you know, if you can control the flow of knowledge, you know, that's, you know, you can, you, you can use that to, to manipulate, you can use that to control. And, and I do talk about that in my book, specifically with the Smithsonian Institution doing that. Exactly. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I mean, if we could do a mass lawsuit against the Smithsonian, it'd be interesting to see how it goes. But 
don't yeah. know. I don't know how many paranormal people would be behind me in it, but I mean, maybe someday, maybe someday. Jeremy, but, if you put something together, I'll sign my name to it. So, Craig's like, why are you trying to vet? Why are you trying to prevent humans from learning more about themselves and their history? Like, there's no purpose that I could see that would really serve it. Like, unless you're trying to keep, yes, if you're trying to keep mass fear away, okay, I could kind of understand that, but still, let humans make their own damn mind up. Like, we're absolutely, I mean, it's but it's also in the same camp as people who say the reason they don't tell us Sasquatch exists is because they don't want people out there hunting it. That's a good point. I mean, I, I could see I could see the reasoning behind that. Um, also, too, you know, David Polites and his missing 411, you know, if you watch some of those documentaries or you read his book, you know, it could also be the fact that there's a lot of people that have disappeared in our national forests. And of course, if they do know that something's out there, you know, and, and these, you know, maybe, um, you know, picking these people off, um, it would it wouldn't do them any good to to try to prevent people from going into the mm -hmm. forests or parks and that type of thing. Well, I have heard stories that there have been that I've heard stories from some people that there are two different breeds of Bigfoot. At least, oh, actually, okay, actually, no, I'm thinking of dogmen. There's two different breeds of dogmen that one that attacks people without cause and one that attack, and one that just kind of bluffs people to get to go away from its territory. But I'm pretty sure for the same thing about Bigfoot as well, though, where there's species of Bigfoot that are more willing to attack without warning. I've because, heard that too. And, but there's also the typical Bigfoot that just, I mean, I've heard stories of people tell the stories from their grandfathers that like, oh yeah, I lived on a, my grandfather lived on a, on a snowy mountain in Colorado and there would be a Bigfoot all the time that would come by and look in his window and I, he had to look in the window once while I was there washing dishes and I saw it. And like my grandfather said, oh, don't bother him. He just looks in every once in a while and sees what I'm doing and then he goes on. Like, I mean, the older generations were a lot more understanding of this stuff, and I don't think they reported it because of that, because they yeah. just knew they knew there was more to this world than they know about, and they just they lived with it like it was a normal life. I mean, I literally lived down, I literally lived 10, 15 minutes, actually, like, yeah, like 10 minutes up a route, up route two in Massachusetts from Lemister State Forest, and it's a Bigfoot hotspot, but I've hiked there multiple times, and I, I actually had a picture once. Uh, I had a picture of what I thought could have been a footprint. I thought. But mm -hmm. I was actually almost too nervous to post it in Bigfoot groups I'm part of because I didn't want to give myself a bad name if I was if it was like a not. <laughs> like, you know, it's just I have a I, as, as little as it is, I have a reputation to uphold. But a little bit I have a reputation to uphold. I mean I'm not I'm not Grover Krantz, I'm not um Patterson or Gimlin. <laughs> I'm not one of them, but like it's just I do have a reputation of hold of some kind. But we do. All right. Well, we are we are getting to the end here. But why don't you tell the people where they can find your book, where they can find information about you, or just promote yourself to the fullest? Absolutely. Thank you, Jeremy. Um, so you can find my book at bookbaby.com. And if you are interested in that, uh, purchasing the book, I'd encourage you to go there because they're very supportive of self-published authors, and I'm a self-published author. Um, you can also find my book on Amazon, as well as Barnes & Noble as well. Uh, I have a website. It's, it's called The Ancient 
www.thegiants.com and you can find more information about my research. And I have a chapter breakdown in there of my book, which will get into more specifics uh, of what each chapter contains. And also there's a number of links to po other podcasts I've done regarding my, my research. Which, yes, I did, I did actually check out your site today a little bit and was to, to get a picture of your book, at least, and to put on the flyer. Yeah. And, I mean, okay, one, I love it's called bookbeepy.com. That's just awesome. <laughs> like, that's a perfect yeah. name. It, it really is. But, and, yeah, please, everybody, check out his book. I mean, it's on my list. It's a long list, but it's on my list of books to buy one day when I have the, when this podcast starts making money, because you all start paying me for it to listen to some episodes, then I will be... My book collection one day will be huge of all the people that I've had on my show. And I have some signed ones already. Hopefully, I'll get all of them signed at some point. But we'll see as time progresses. But I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Just I need to start making a little cash from this first, you know. But Patreon coming soon. I keep saying that, but it's coming eventually. <laughs> I, I got to find the time to record bonus episodes, for God's sake. I give you guys so many episodes normally that I don't have time for bonus. But... But thank you for coming on, Floyd. And it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And there's so much we didn't get into. Oh, my gosh. Jeremy, thank you for having me on. And if you'd ever like to continue the discussion, there are a lot of topics in my book. Aside from giants, we can get into the little people. I have a section on the alien races, get into the reptilians and the grays and the tall whites. And I've got all kinds of stuff, the uh, ancient Sumerian stuff. So we can go down a lot of rabbit holes. The Norse, the, the Norse aliens, Ooh, one of my favorite topics, the Valiant Thor himself. But we will get into, we can get, we'll have, I think we'll have Floyd back on when his second book is about to come out. So you can do a little promoting while he's on here too, of course, because I don't like that people on here just for me to talk. I like to have them have a purpose too. But so we'll definitely have you back on. But until next time, folks, you know where to find me. If you don't, listen to the outro on the podcast form. But Anywhere you're watching this live or replays, you can find me there. So come enjoy it because it's going to be just more of these conversations about the mysteries of the world, which is my favorite thing in the world. So let's keep talking about it. And hopefully one day we can get the government to admit something. But until next time, please like and subscribe wherever you're watching, wherever you're listening. Like and subscribe. It goes a long way to me getting ad content and being able to actually make more because I can make something off this and my wife will understand more. <laughs> but until next time, Floyd, it's been an absolute Thank you. pleasure. I yeah. love having you on. Great. Definitely up there on my been top fun, guests. Jeremy. <laughs> I love Thank you so much, Jeremy. You're a fun guy to and talk to. You can find me on Facebook as Jeremy Bryant or you can find me as Uncensored, Unapologetic and Untamed UQ Podcast Collective group, Facebook group. You can find me on Twitter and the Instagram as at JuggaloBastard, or should I say X now? And you can find me on TikTok as at Podcast. You can also find me on YouTube as Paranormal New Normal. And you can also find me streaming on YouTube as Blind Knowledge Network, because all knowledge is blind until they admit Bigfoot exists.